Across central Wisconsin, people are tuning in and sounding off. Call in now. 715-845-2155. WSAU Feedback on AM 550, FM 99.9, WSAU. If I was feeling better today, I'd tell you it's a pleasure to be filling in for Meg Ellison. I'm Chris Conley. I've got bronchitis. I've been feeling better over the last few days. I'm told, you know, I just looked up symptoms. Um, If symptoms don't improve in three to four weeks, seek additional help. What? I am not feeling like this for three to four weeks. Meg brought me soup yesterday. Ooh, that was nice. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I am feeling better from yesterday to today. I'm going to track down more soup and see if we can't continue this uh, this upward trend. Meg is in Madison today. She'll be back tomorrow. And uh, I'm, well, here we are, you and I together. I really did call in sick, and I'm glad that people were able to help and cover all of my duties on Monday. Monday was Martin Luther King Day, and here's what I'd like to talk about today. Um, Martin Luther King is much revered in public life. It wasn't always that way when he was alive. You know what? Um, Martin Luther King's approval rating When he was alive, before his assassination, he was only 39 when he was shot and killed, was below 50%. White people in particular thought of him as a troublemaker, a rebel rouser. That's not uncommon, by the way, for people who are agitating for change. If you are someone who is happy with how things are, Whatever the situation is, I'm happy with how things are. You would look at Martin Luther King as a troublemaker. I mean, you could imagine that. Let's say you live in a homogeneous community in upstate New York. We just don't simply have a lot of black folks in uh, Goshen, New York, suburb of New York City. And you see these stories on the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. Oh, look. Who's stirring up all that trouble in Atlanta and Alabama? Uh, Who's, uh, what, messing with the bus line in Birmingham? Why don't they go out of business? No one can ride the bus anymore. Uh, You might be a little skeptical of Martin Luther King. Oh, you live in mainline Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia. Well, I mean, we don't have any of those problems here. Um, We are not oppressing our black population Mississippi style. Um, Are things quite equal? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 they're not. Um, But we would prefer the way we have things here than what Martin Luther King is advocating for in Georgia. You get that, that back then, not as woke as today, not as aware of racial justice issues, um, Martin Luther King might indeed be unpopular. Here is the starting point for today's conversation. And by the way, this is a conversation about moving the goalposts. Now, 
moving the goalposts in the name of equality, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. I would like you to do this. In your mind's eye, sum up in just a few words, what was Martin Luther King's dream? What is the thing that he articulated that he wanted for race relations in the United States? Martin Luther King has his speech at the reflecting pool at the Lincoln Memorial. I have a dream. What was Martin Luther King's vision for race relations in the U.S.? Think on that for just a moment. I have a suggestion that I think sums up his dream in just a few words. Martin Luther King was a champion for a colorblind society. I mean, isn't that what he said? And there was no one more articulate in his day than Martin Luther King. He sure did give a better speech than Lyndon Johnson, the President of the United States at the time. Martin Luther King said he dreamed of a day when people would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That it wouldn't matter if you were white or black or brown, or yellow, or red, that we would be judged by the skills and talents and by who we were instead of by what we looked like. So is that a a good summation of Martin Luther King's vision, the thing that he fought for and ultimately laid down his life for? Not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character a colorblind society. Well, look at where we are now. The people who cite Martin Luther King and, ooh, his dream is unrealized, say this. What we need is things like uh, reparations. Is reparations part of a colorblind society? that we should open up the public treasury and give money to other people to eh, even things out, to kind of smooth things over from past discrimination. And then you get into all of this sticky business of, uh, what about people who came to the country after slavery ended? No, no, they, they get reparations too. What about black people who came to the country voluntarily, in other words, chose to make the United States their home. Oh, oh, they get reparations too. What about, I'll spend a a separate segment of the program talking about what California is working on. California is working on a breathtaking reparations proposal. San Francisco's got their own for, for, for their city. Um... California was never a slave state. So do we open up the treasury for the sins of slavery in a state where slavery was never practiced? Well, let's, let's go back to the colorblind society. Um, after the George Floyd shooting, tragic, something that should not have happened, 
a cold-blooded murder that, by the way, our judicial system held someone to account. In fact, held several someones to account. Some college student said uh, people were so busy being activists, taking part in Black Lives Matter rallies, um, taking part in in agitating for justice there, that uh, on college campuses, black students should get additional time to complete their tests and their semester projects. Oh, a colorblind society? One group of students have to complete their work and turn it in and get graded, and another group of students don't. There were other proposals on college campuses that uh, black students should get additional points on their finals. Because, after all, they're they're out in the streets down for the struggle, and uh, that puts some stress on you. So, you know, uh, give them an extra 25 or 30 points on their final exams. Or pass them automatically. You know what? A professor who, who got that proposal from, uh, we believe that your black student should pass, he, he responded and said, uh, no, no, that's not okay. And the backswell against him, he was suspended. They investigated him, and, and only after he pushed back was he reinstated. Is that what a colorblind society looks like? By the way, um, I would point out that affirmative action is not what a colorblind society looks like that certain people get jobs or admissions or get access to scarce resources because, uh, hey, your skin color is one thing and my skin color is something else. Not a colorblind society. Not part of Martin Luther King's dream. The problem is that this is a co-opting of Martin Luther King's legacy. Again, we we have a day Monday, and I'm glad that we have a national holiday to hold up a man who is revered by the United States general population. Martin Luther King is considered a hero of the civil rights movement by whites and blacks, and I'm glad for that. But what he stood for is not what is being pushed for in the current modern woke world. And nobody's saying that. Well, uh, someone's saying it here on the program. And I want to talk a little about what some of the problems are with that. And I'd like to take your phone calls, too. So we'll take an early break and we'll come right back. I'm Chris Conley filling in on feedback on WSAU. Chris in for Meg on WSAU Feedback. Meg Ellison will be back tomorrow. Let me tell you one of the problems of just simply not being colorblind. And by the way, there are consequences. A colorblind society is Martin Luther King's dream. And those who are trying to co-opt their dream for something more should be called out on it. This is a true story. It's a story from New Haven, Connecticut. 
In fact, I know it because it is one of the cases that Justice Sonia Sotomayor presided over before she was elevated to the Supreme Court. The city of New Haven had openings on their fire department. In fact, they had five openings. So they put together the civil service exam, and those who were qualified and wanted a job on the fire department could take the test to fill one of the five openings. Okay, so we, we take the test. And you know, how did the test results come out? Well, um, the person who scored the highest on the test was hired for the New Haven Fire Department. The person who scored second highest was hired as well. The third person on the test was also hired. But the person who scored fourth highest... Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, look, you, you, you did better than all the other people who took the test. But uh, no, no, you are not hired. Because why? Why? Because of the five openings, two of the people who were hired had to be minorities. And the top one, two, and three candidates were white. The fourth highest scoring candidate was white, too. But they went down to the person who scored sixth because that was the highest scoring minority on the test. And uh, by the way, they hired the 11th person too, skipped over the 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th highest scoring people to get down to number 11. And that's how they handled diversity. Tell me, what would you say to the person who scored fourth on the exam and didn't get a job, passed over for someone who was not as qualified. Now, look, let, let's stipulate it's a fire. That's your job. Your job is to put out fires. The fire doesn't care about the skin pigmentation of the people who show up to put it out. You want to keep sowing the seeds of racial division? That person who scored fourth is going to hate that system. That person is going to look at minorities who are policemen, firefighters, postal service workers, bus drivers, and is going to wonder if every one of the uh, those minorities got their job at the expense of someone who didn't do as well on whatever the application process is. That's how you ferment bitterness and division. Now I want to give you another scenario. Uh, this is also from the New Haven Fire Department. I want you to imagine this scenario. Um, you are a firefighter in New Haven, and you get called out to a big apartment fire. Oh, it's going to be dangerous. You've got to go inside and, and, and search for any survivors. Then you've got to attack this fire. Someone's got to get up on the ladder truck. Someone's got to go in and, and try and put out the source of the fire. And the person alongside of you, the firefighter who you are trusting your life with is the person, oh, they didn't score the best on the firefighter exam. They were the number 11 person on the exam. We, we passed over other people who did better. And you must trust them to do everything right 
or else, you know, uh, what if the ceiling collapses on you? Because, well, they didn't get that question right on how do you put out the fire without the ceiling collapsing? And yet you could pay for your life because the next qualified person, we didn't hire them, we hired someone else. And that's the problem. At some jobs, by the way, I would suggest you at every job, who gets the job? The person who's most qualified. That is what's consistent with Martin Luther King's dream, a colorblind society. And what we have now is something different than what Martin Luther King spoke in favor of. You know what? We're coming up on our news break. I want to take some of your calls on this. 715-845-2155. 715-845-2155. You and me on feedback when we come back next on WSAU. Hi, this is Chris Conley in for Meg Ellison, and it's feedback on AM 550 FM 99.9 WSAU. Topic today is, well, a couple of days after Martin Luther King Day, the, the outright co-opting of Martin Luther King's dream. I mean, one of the words most associated with I have a dream. His dream was of a colorblind society, and that is not what we are debating today. It just isn't. In fact, I I was told once that it's a microaggression. It's a sign of racism if you say, oh, skin color doesn't matter to me. Because someone who is of a different skin color than I will say, well, I I can't change my skin color. I'm not asking you to. What I am calling for is for you and I to be treated the same. And I'm told that that's that's just not the dream. It's not the goal anymore. Um, It is people who are of different skin colors wanting different and special privileges for themselves. That's not anything that Martin Luther King uh, advocated during his lifetime. 715-845-2155. Caller, you are first up on feedback. Go ahead. My dad came here illegally. President Reagan decided he's going to go ahead and sign on a lot of people because of his uh, dream, or not the dream package, what did he call it back then? But my mom was white. She grew up here in Wisconsin. As a matter of fact, her farm is still there, and it was here before Wisconsin was. That's my great-grandmother's farm. My dad was from Puerto Rico, and his grandfather was Anglican from Spain, and he happened to marry a black woman and settle in Puerto Rico. The problem with all of this idea of who people are and what color are they, sure, my, I'm dark because my great-grandmother was black. But guess what? I have three grandparents that were white. Yeah, you, you know what? The more common that interracial relationships are, when I was a kid, interracial relationships were much more rare than they are now. Now is a different time. So, I mean, what do you do when you say, uh, well, whites oppress blacks in the United States? 
And you're going to teach that to a child in school, which I think is incredibly disruptive. And that child happens to be from a mixed-race family. So mom who's white oppresses dad who's black? And by the way, that's not the experience that the child sees. Hypothetically, let's say the child is being brought up in a loving mixed-race home. And yet the narrative is going to be, oh, bad whitey. Oh, blacks can't get ahead because of whites. And the child says, that's not my experience at all. Um, Does the black parent get reparations while the white parent doesn't? Um, I think as we have, and again, you are saying, sir, that the mixed race ethnicity of your family goes back generations. Well, by the way, it's great that your family has come to America from many different backgrounds and has cobbled out a living and are productive citizens. God bless you. That, that That's tremendous. But how do you untangle the different paths that your family's story has taken in America and decide what? Um, who's been held back by who? I, I think that's impossible to untangle, nor should we. That's why the colorblind society standard is is what makes sense. 715-845-2155. Caller, you are on feedback. Go ahead. Good morning. Morning. Hope you feel better. I, I hope I do, too. Yeah. Hey, wanted to say, first of all, Martin Luther King was a man of God, and that was uh, a big driver of, of of his behavior and his character. Actually, I want to talk about that, and then I'll give you more time, because here is one of the mysteries of faith. And you're right, Martin Luther King was a person of faith. And the Bible, if you believe in biblical truth, tells us that we are all created in God's image. And, And that's a mystery, because look, you look different than I do. Some people are black, some people are white, some people are male, some people are female. Uh, Some people are (laughs) good-looking, and some people are not. And if you believe in biblical truth, that we are all in God's image, it tells you that we are more than what we look like, that it is the soul eternal that makes us godlike. And I believe that Martin Luther King was very, very aware of that. I mean, otherwise, how how could we be made in God's image? We all look different. And that was a part, actually, that I wish Martin Luther King talked about more during his lifetime. Yeah, well said. Um, he did not focus on victimization. He focused on peaceful uh, protesting, nonviolent he also focused on forgiveness a lot and uh, said that he didn't want discrimination for anybody. He had so many good quotes. I uh, just wanted to you know, rattle off two of them here if I could. He said, our lives begin um, at the end, or our, begin, our lives begin to end uh, the day we become silent about things that matter. And he also said the ultimate measure, measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. And he also said that the focus of education uh, should be on intelligence plus character. And so, you know, I mean, you look at critical race theory, what, what a slap in the face to him in, in, in terms of what he was trying to promote. Um, it, it just goes completely contrary to 
what he believed and what he was was trying to uh, to change in America. And it's sad that our, our education system has allowed this. And um, if, if we're ever going to, um, you know, to, to have improvements in America, we have to change that, and, and we have to get rid of this focus on victimization. Look, uh, one of the tragedies of Martin Luther King's assassination is that he was silenced on some of these ideas that have come to the fore since his death. I would have loved to have heard what Martin Luther King would say about critical race theory. Um, I don't think that Martin Luther King wanted black people to be ever thought of as less than or needing a big boost up. He spoke, in fact, very often about not wanting people who were oppressing. And, and look, there were lots of whites that oppressed black people in the 1950s and 60s when Martin Luther King was alive. But he did not want a bitterness or a hostility as his issues of the day were advanced. He says, we've got to move forward, all of us, got to move forward hand in hand, arm in arm, as brothers in the human race. And boy, some of the ideas that we have now, I think, sow the seeds of bitterness into into perpetuity. In fact, I, I want to talk more about one of the reparations proposals in San Francisco. You want to talk about something that will sow the seeds of bitterness. We will never get to equality and the spirit of brotherhood if some of these ideas move forward. I'm going to tell you more about their proposal when we take a quick break. I'm Chris Conley. This is Feedback on WSAU. As if by coincidence, one of my favorite bumpers has come up here. In fact, I was watching the movie Ray when I dragged my sorry butt out of bed a few days ago. Jamie Foxx plays, and he's good in that. In fact, he does some of his own singing, and he's good at that too. What I always thought was funny about the movie is how they kind of cleaned up Ray Charles' life a little bit. Because Ray looked at his backup singers, the Rayolettes, as his own personal harem. And, you know, in the story, um, he had a child out of wedlock with one of the Rayolettes. And she eventually, tragically, uh, overdosed on drugs and left behind Ray Charles' son. Well, that part of Ray Charles' life story was kind of cleaned up. Um, In fact, Ray Charles had 13 illegitimate children with members of the Rayolettes. Um, But he would appear to be a less likable character if that was part of the story. So, yeah, Ray Charles had one child separate from the children that he had with his wife. Anyway, um, you know, look, uh, Ray Charles talented, and uh, and we love the bumper music. I'm Chris Conley on feedback on WSAU. Meg is going to be back tomorrow. Let's consider for a moment San Francisco. It's an expensive place to live. In fact, you know, the only thing, as far as I'm concerned, that's wrong with San Francisco is the people. I mean, you'd have to live around insufferable liberals. But San Francisco is said to be a beautiful view. 
that if you go to the Embocadero or you look over the high cliffs, you get a great view of the Pacific Ocean. Um, it's been many years since I've been to San Francisco, but again, um, not the kind of place that I would want to live. And insanely expensive. You've got the state taxes in California. You've got all of those liberal policies that jack up the cost of living. The median income in San Francisco, that is uh, what you got to earn to make a go of it there, is $90,000. One of the most expensive places in the U.S. And San Francisco has a reparations committee. They have made their recommendations on what to do for blacks living in San Francisco. Now, just keep in mind, no one who lives in San Francisco has ever been a slave. In fact, their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, none of them have ever known slavery because slavery was never allowed in California. San Francisco proposes reparations for systemic racism since the end of the Civil War. Well, okay. I mean, San Francisco can work on whatever policies they want. They're, they're liberal. So, of course, we're going to get some crazy liberal policies. What do they propose? Credit card and student loan debt be paid in full. Well, oh, that, that's interesting. Um, let's say that I live in San Francisco. No, no, I never would. And uh, I've got a balance on my credit card, and I'm paying loan shark rates, 24, 25%. And, you know, the $5,000 that I'm carrying, um, I look at my credit card statement, and another $100 gets added every month when I get that bill. But my black neighbor will get that all wiped away. Oh, I saved and paid my tuition for my college degree. I don't have student loans. My black neighbor will get their student loan debt wiped off. But again, uh, reparations? No, no, they, they, they were never in bondage. They were never a slave. They were never whatever. Um, but those two debts, those two burdens, I, I'm thinking that if I lived in San Francisco, imagine how much easier my life would be if credit card and student loan debt that I happen to have, whoosh, vanished. Um, but I'm the wrong skin color for that. And then the proposal is that everyone who is black get their income raised to $90,000, to the median. Well, the problem with this is, imagine the level of resentment that Look, I have to go to work every day. I, I live in San Francisco. I've got a job. Um, when I'm not feeling very well, <clears throat> um, I still got to put my pants on and go to work because I've got to earn a living. And if I don't, I won't make the $90,000 that you need to live your life in San Francisco. And to my black neighbor, that's just given to them. Tell me if that's what equality looked like. Uh, tell me if that's in line with Martin Luther King's dream. In fact, I think if that policy goes forward, and again, we're not talking about stolen labor in the cotton fields of Louisiana or Alabama. We're talking about a state, California, 
but has always been free. We're talking about a liberal bastion, San Francisco, that has always cared and has brought to the fore social justice issues. And now they're saying we didn't do enough. So what we have to do is have this big, big giveaway. How are people who go out and earn it going to feel about that? That things that they have worked for and earned are simply given to someone else. Hmm. I think that that is out of line with what Martin Luther King said, that we will go forward together as brothers. That's not what equality looks like. In fact, it's not what equality looks like at all. I mean, let's consider the situation there. Um, do you think that more people who would like to collect on reparations would suddenly find themselves moving to California and to San Francisco? Why? Because the gift is so generous. There's another proposal from a California state board that suggests black families who have lived in the state for a certain period of time should be entitled to $5 million each. That they say that's the value of opportunities and things that could have happened for them if they were white. From the period when the Civil War ended to now moving forward, that they had been denied because of their skin color. By the way, how am I supposed to feel when my resources, the taxes that I pay to California, are used in that way? Hmm. I have to go and work, and, you know, I pay my state taxes. In California, they are ridiculously high. No question about that. But my tax dollars, the public purse, gets into my pocket And it is just given to others. In a state that had no slavery, in a state that has a history of being a champion for equality. And what are we told? We're told that it's not enough. Do you think that there are people in California who will be resentful about that? Well, look, it's a liberal state. There might be some people who are saying, great, we're we're just at the fore of evening the playing field. Yeah, Some people in California will indeed think that. And there are others, there are at least a few with their heads screwed on straight, who will think, what the heck is going on here? Again, my whole point as I bring this hour to a close, Martin Luther King advocated for a colorblind society. And the proposals now, years after his tragic death, bear no resemblance to his dream whatsoever. And that's one of the tragedies of Martin Luther King, that not only has his dream not come to fruition, but it's been co-opted by the political left. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Chris Conley. Meg's back tomorrow. This is Feedback on WSAU.